heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today. It's Thursday morning, the 28th of July. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald. Very good morning to everybody in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. A good morning to you. So much to get through this morning. We'll talk about the Dolby cattle market. We're going to catch up with John Brown from Tambo. We'll also talk uh, with the one and only Murray Watt. Yes, the Agricultural Minister will be joining us this morning. He's coming up next. All things uh, foot and mouth disease, what they're doing to try and counteract what is a huge, huge issue in this cattle industry at the moment and the agricultural sector. Murray Watt, the Ag Minister, he joins us next on Rural Queensland today. It's Thursday morning across rural Queensland. I hope you're well. Ben Dobbin with you. Let's talk to the the National Ag Minister, Murray Watt. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Really honoured to have the Minister for Agricultural Fisheries and Forestry and Minister for Emergency Management, Senator for Queensland, Murray Watt, joining us this morning. Uh, Murray, good morning. Uh, Thanks so much for being with us on Rural Queensland today. You've been on this show before and, and, and I understand firstly just how busy you are at the moment with what is going on. I, I'm going to start straight up. How, how are you going with it all? I mean, you come into a, uh, obviously the coalition and um, and, and you're straight into A grade. It, it, you, there was no warm up match. There was no uh, there was no uh, little softening period. It, it's just been full on from the very beginning. Yeah, no, it's been a very busy start, Bobo. Because um, of course we had the New South Wales floods hit, and I was dealing with that in emergency management role, and then foot and mouth disease got to Bali, so everything's ramped up really fast. But you know, when you sign up to do politics and be in government, then this is the kind of stuff you've got to be ready for. So we've had to really step it up. Um, but, you know, I think I understand exactly how seriously people are taking this. And that's why both my, I, my office and our department are just slaving away, doing everything we possibly can to keep it out. We, we've, I tried to get you on the show a couple of weeks ago and, and, and I was really happy when you're um, media advisor said, look, he's on a plane and he's heading to Indonesia. You've mm-hmm. been overseas and you've actually seen it firsthand. Can you just step mm-hmm. us through what is going on overseas from your perspective and how you believe that they are trying to implement it? Because the, the talk that we're getting at the moment is that the implementation of the vaccines and trying to get it under control overseas is nowhere near the levels it should be. Yeah, I thought it was really important to get over there myself, Ben. I mean, as you say, to see it firsthand, but also to have some meetings with their most senior ministers dealing with this outbreak. So while I was in Jakarta for just a bit over 24 hours, I met with the agriculture minister and the head of their natural disaster agency, which is now managing the outbreak. Basically, where we're at at the moment is that there's a bit over 400,000 infected animals across 22 provinces in Indonesia. It's obviously a huge country with thousands of islands. Uh, So that's the current numbers that we're working off. One of the pleasing things is that they are now ahead of that number in terms of vaccinations that they've administered. So the latest figures I had yesterday were about 660,000. That's probably gone up a bit since then. So they, they do seem to be getting on top of it by vaccinating more animals than they actually have infected. 
I mean, I think one of the things we need to remember is that in Indonesia, there's about 65 million uh, livestock animals. Um, so, so that's still a relatively small number that are infected. Can you just repeat course, that number that yeah. was infected, mate, again for, for us? Yeah, it's the latest figures I had were, it's, were as of yesterday, it was about 430,000. Infected animals right. across the country. Yep. Yeah, so th- 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 that, it's uh, a significant number. There's no two ways about it. Um, for but sure. It, yeah, but and 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 they are obviously being euthanized. Is that the process with with that with those numbers? They're being euthanized at the moment. Um, Mo- uh, most of them are. Um, yep. they, they are. They they're sort of. And the other thing that they have really started ramping up, uh, particularly since I was over there, is their movement controls that they put in place. Um, to really limit the movement of livestock. That's obviously a really important measure to stop the disease spreading. Uh, and we know that they have plans to administer more vaccines and we're seriously looking at what more support we can provide to them to do that um, because that's obviously one of the key steps. I mean, I think the other thing that was really important that I took away from that trip was that they are particularly focusing on barley uh, and getting the outbreak under control in barley. I don't have the current figures, but while I was over there, what they were saying was that there were about 500-odd animals that were infected in Bali, which is obviously a relatively small number, Um, but they are very much prioritising the vaccination program and the movement controls and other things in Bali because they recognise that that is an area where there's a lot of travellers coming in and out, uh, and it's in their interest. If there's one part of the country to get under control, it's Bali. So, you know, I wouldn't want to say it's perfect, um, you know, and there's a lot of people out there saying that I'm not perfect in terms of what we're doing here, uh, but I was encouraged that they are taking it seriously. Um, they know they've got a lot on the line themselves, whether it be about their own food security or their reputation internationally, uh, and we, of course, want to stand side by side with them because it's in our national interest to help them get this outbreak under control, and that's why while I was over there, I announced that we would be providing one million vaccines for foot and mouth disease which I think is probably more than any other country has committed. Uh, but as I say, we, we are very willing to do more uh, in, in partnership with them. Okay. That's over there. The big worry is here. Um, mm-hmm. now, and, and that's the big worry. Now, we had David Littleproud. I know he's a friend of yours away from politics, but we had him on yep. Monday and he said that he suggested and that they suggested that you guys implement mats three weeks ago, longer mm-hmm. than that, and then – that now it's only happening that the mats are starting to be implemented at these airports. Mm. Can we just talk about the real the real worry? And I don't – there's been a lot of hysteria. There's no two ways about it, and I'm going to get to the devastation if it happened. But mm. why have we – and I don't believe we need to stop the planes either. I don't think that's mm. the answer. But why have we not had these mats, these wash mats, to try and, and mitigate any um, of this disease coming in earlier than than where we're talking today. Yeah. I think, uh, look, I would have liked those mats to be in place more quickly than they were myself, uh, Ben, but the reality is um, that we're doing something that no Australian government has ever done before in rolling out these sanitised foot mats to every international airport in the country. I mean, to be honest, I think it's a bit rich for David to be complaining about the length of time it took when this outbreak actually reached Indonesia back in May when he was still the minister. He didn't even order foot mats, let alone put them in. But the minute we, we took office and the minute it got to Bali, apparently we were supposed to do it overnight. It yeah. probably would have helped if the former government had actually ordered some foot mats at least, let alone put them in place. So we've managed to get those foot mats in place. Um, a bit over two weeks from when that outbreak got to Bali. Yeah. And that was because we went out and did an international search for the match. You know, these, these are not the kind of things you can just go down to Bunning and pick up and chuck in your ute. These are heavy, uh, wearing, industrial strength 
foot mats that have to be sprayed with citric acid. Yeah. Um, so we ended up having to place a special order um, to get them and then freight them around the country. So I would have loved to be in a position that the very next day after it got to Bali, we could put those mats down. Um, but that work hadn't been done before we took office. And so we moved as quickly as we possibly could. But, you know, you know as I say, it would have been good to have it quicker, but they're now in place. Are so they operational we, now? Are they operational they are, now? They're, they're, they, are, they, they started getting put down in our airports on Monday and the rest of them got done on Tuesday. So every in every in basically every passenger who is coming in from Indonesia is now walking through a foot mat at one of our international airports. And that's obviously before they then might get on a connecting flight to head out bush. Um, so I, the other thing I think we need to remember is that the foot mats are important and they're useful, uh, but they're not a silver bullet. Um, I think that there has been a lot of focus on the foot mats, but to be honest with you, some of the other measures that we've put in place probably make even more of a difference, like putting in more biosecurity officers at our airports and our mail centres. We've also, on last week, we, for the very first time in Australian history, uh, declared biosecurity response zones in our airports. And what that means is that our biosecurity officers have stronger powers to direct people to do certain things, whether it be walk over a foot mat or hand yeah. over certain items. Yeah. And again, you know, the, 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 that's why I'm saying to people, this is the strongest response we have ever seen from an Australian government to a biosecurity threat. We are doing things that no Australian government has ever done before. You know, the powers existed under the last government. They didn't use them. Um, foot mats weren't ordered. We're doing new things in addition to ramping up our biosecurity officers, our checks at mail centres. Because the other thing we need to remember is that as much as there's been a focus on Bali and travellers, and that is a risk, the bigger risk is actually someone bringing in some sort of meat product into the country that contains live virus. So yeah. that's why we've also ramped up the number of officers at our mail centres sure. and every single mail item that is coming in from Indonesia or China is now being screened because that is such a big risk. Murray Watt, the Ag Minister, is our guest this morning. We're going to take a break, come back, Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Murray Watt, the Ag Minister, joining us this morning. Murray, what is a what is a bigger risk, the Live product coming in through a meat product, which there's been detections, but they haven't been live, and we all need mm. to we all need to come. Media don't need to whip it up that it's here because yep. it wasn't live uh, fragments of meat. But is it being brought in because if it comes in through human of, of of someone's feet that they've been on a farm and then spreads, we won't control it. But what, in your opinion, is a bigger threat at the moment? The advice to me then is that the bigger threat at the moment is that live virus coming in via an animal product. Um, so it might, might even be like a meat pie or something like that or a sausage. Yep. Um, and that's why we thought it was important to get the information out to people quickly once we knew um, that our routine surveillance had picked up uh, fragments, viral fragments in those sausages. Fortunately, they weren't live virus. But the real risk, what, I, what I'm told, um, is that, to give you an example, say if there's live virus in a sausage or a meat product that someone brings into the country, um, say if they eat most of that product and they chuck the rest in their pig scraps uh, and then uh, the pigs go and eat that live virus, it gets in the animal food chain, they spread it to other pigs, they spread it to other animals and, and off, off we go. Oh, yeah. That's the biggest risk rather than, you know, it is a risk that it could come in via a traveller on their shoes. I don't want to pretend it's not, but it's a much bigger risk than the meat product. When we're talking about risk though as well, I, I think I don't want to alarm people about the size of this risk. Our experts have estimated that the risk of this disease coming into Australia over the next five years is just short of 12%. 
Uh, and the other thing, though, is that, that that risk was already at about 9% about a year ago. Yeah. So it has it has gone up. The risk has gone up a bit since it got to Indonesia and a bit more since it got to Bali. Um, but it was it's not significantly higher than what it was even a year ago. So I think we do need to keep some perspective here. We need to keep calm. We we in the government need to do everything we can, and, and I think that we are and we'll keep doing more. We need the travelling public to do the right thing. We need farmers to do the right thing. Um, but we do need to keep it in perspective um, rather than some of the hysterical reporting, as you say, um, that's been whipped up by some political figures over the last couple of weeks. Why... Can I ask you this, and, and this is a question without notice, why don't we, and, and and have you thought about potentially having the vaccine ready to go and available for producers here in Queensland and Australia in the agricultural sector now? If, yep. if, if I'm just thinking, and, and not everybody is of the same, but your average herd size, what people could go and, and mitigate some of this risk now by vaccinating their cattle um, and getting that. Is that something that you guys are, are looking at as a government? And ma- and I don't know how it works. We, they might have to mm. pay for it. The government might have to go in halves, like either way. Mm. But potentially vaccinating our beef herd to shore up a- a- our agricultural sector, is that something that could be happening in the next six to 12 months? Yeah, this is something I asked very early in the process, Ben, because I sort of thought, well, why wouldn't we go out and vaccinate our livestock like we've done with COVID to keep people safe? But the answer is that um, just as if we got FMD into the country, that would shut down our exports overnight because people wouldn't want to be buying uh, meat from a country that's got FMD. Sure. The problem is that if you vaccinate your livestock, you are deemed to have FMD in your country. And so that would have the same effect. We'd, We'd lose our exports overnight if we went out in advance and started vaccinating. So the idea is that we have vaccines available at very short notice, which we do, um, so that if the outbreak did get to Australia and the rest of the world considered that we did have FMD, um, then we'd be in a position to vaccinate if that was the best option. The way it's been explained to me by our biosecurity experts who've been through many, many outbreaks of many, many diseases is that we wouldn't immediately move to vaccinate. What we do in the first instance, uh, and there's an OZVET plan, a very comprehensive plan that's been put together by the federal government with the states and territories, you know, so that we are prepared. The first move would be a 72-hour national standstill on livestock movements because what you want to do is contain the virus in whatever location it's been discovered in. Um, and, and once you've got through that 72 hours, that opens up a wider range of options. It might be longer term movement controls on livestock. It might be vaccination. It might be culling. It would depend on the circumstances you're dealing with. But the very first thing you want to do is actually just lock it down and try and keep it contained to a small area. If you can do that, that means that the, the outbreak doesn't last as long. And that means that you can get back to trading internationally much sooner than if it got all around the country. So... There's a lot to unpack in that, in the sense that there's a plan in place, mm. in the sense that I find it unbelievable around the world that if you're vaccinated to prevent, that you deem that you've got it, but yeah. that's a whole other can of worms. Yep. It just does not make sense, um, and that, that would mitigate a lot of risk. Are you – and put aside all, all the, the, the jabs at, at yourself and at the Labor government at the moment – but are you honestly comfortable with the position that you're in from a biosecurity perspective and from a management um, um, of this? Are you comfortable that we are at this present moment in the best possible position to mitigate this disease? 
Yeah, I'm, I am confident that we're in that position, Ben. And as I say, I, I'd be the first to say that some of the measures that we've been put in place, I would have liked to have seen sooner. Um, but there's practicalities about, you know, whether it be getting foot mats or other things that you've got to find people to put in as extra biosecurity officers. And let me tell you, I'm on the phone many, many times a day to my department demanding answers about where things are at and why we can't move faster. So they've got a very clear message from me that they they want more, that I want more happening and more happening faster. But having said that, you know, again, I think we need to remember that we've already got one of the world's best biosecurity systems. Um, the reality is, I think, that over the last few years, our biosecurity system hasn't received the funding and effort that it has, uh, that it needed from the former government. And the way I've thought about it is that our biosecurity system is a wall to keep things out. And unfortunately, there have been cracks appear in that wall over the last few years due to funding decisions and systems not being upgraded and things like that. So my job as the new minister in a new government is to fix those cracks in the wall yep. and make that wall bigger and even stronger. Um, I've always said that you know if there are extra ideas that, that people come up with that will make a difference, um, then I'm happy to implement them. You know, not every idea that people come up with works. The, the vaccines is a is a good example of that. You'd think that that would be the thing you'd do, but you dig into it a bit further and you realise that would that wouldn't be the right thing to do. Um, but if there's extra things that we can do, I'm up for it. And I can tell you, there's a number of things that I'm already talking about with my department to keep making this even stronger still. Yeah, Murray, I could talk to you all day. Obviously, you're really grateful that you came on this show. Is it like you can understand that the producers and the concern, obviously, and um, that there is they feel that they're not being heard and they feel a threat, but that also leads to massive panic selling and 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 markets dropping, and and it also opens ourselves to producers to um, some of the big processes trying to jerk this job off the back of the fear mongering. Are you keeping an eye on that as well? Absolutely. In fact, last night uh, when we finished up with Parliament for the day, I had two different meetings, one with John McKillop from the Red Meat Advisory Council uh, and one with uh, Patrick Hutchinson from the meat industry, yep. meat processing yep. industry. Um, we've Maybe. been working in very close partnership with them um, and I've been in regular contact with organisations like them, with the live exporters, with the NFF, uh, been doing all sorts of industry webinars because I realise that part of my job is to get correct information out there. There's a lot of myths being pushed around. There's a lot of political gesturing that's being done. And my job is to get the facts out to people and to give people confidence that we're taking this seriously. So, you know, I, I, as I say, I am confident that we, we're doing what we need to do um, and we'll keep doing more. Um, I think the other thing we need to remember is that the more we all panic and send a message to the world that maybe there's a problem here, the world notices. You know, I've been contacted by a number of industry players who say that their overseas customers are already, you know, thinking and asking questions about whether Australia is still a good place to buy meat from. Um, so even the hysteria that we've seen in the last few weeks is having an impact. So yeah, my advice sense. to everyone is, Let's keep calm heads. Let's absolutely do what we need to do, um, whether it be me as the minister, farmers, travellers, whoever it is, people in the media. Um, but let's not lose sight of the fact that we are free of this disease. Uh, unlike, you know, there's 70 countries around the world that have got this disease at the moment, and we're not one of them. Uh, and we don't want the rest of the world thinking that we've got a disease that we actually don't have. Very well said. Great to talk. We'll catch up with you again shortly. Thanks for making yourself on, available man. this morning. Murray Watt, the Ag Minister, National Ag Minister, doing a phenomenal job in a tough time. Uh, this is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. 
Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Sarah Kiley, Director of Agricultural Statistics at uh, uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, joins us this morning. And a bumper year for 2020, 2021, a 17% increase in value to the $70 billion, according to the data released uh, by the ABS. Unbelievable. Sarah, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a, it's been an amazing couple of years in the agricultural sector. There's no two ways about it. And you look at um, a lot of different areas through cropping and through beet production and, and through livestock production, and and it literally is the golden period. We used to hear about these years growing up when our grandfathers and, and when our fathers saw it, and we all go, well, we went through drought and, and low prices, but the last 12 to 18 months, two years, have been nothing short of phenomenal. Absolutely, and that shines through the statistics that uh, the ABS has released for 2021, and it was actually up to uh, $71 billion, uh, that gross value of Australian agriculture. Wow. This year. So we're going, we'll round up. Um, we'll go with those great yep. news stories for Australian agriculture yep. uh, in 2021. So yep. what and happens? Many farmers reported those, you know, amazing crop yields, those once in a lifetime levels. So it's not only just coming out of those several years of drought into, you know, certain good times and capitalising on these great conditions. You know, it's gone. They've gone above and beyond to make the most of um, the um, the return of both rainfall and, and the use of water uh, on their land. Yeah, quite phenomenal. And I can tell you, you, you we're heading for that again. Mm. Some of the some of the the stories that I'm hearing about, some of the sizes of the wheat crops that I'm getting talked to about, and, and just the, the water and, and the cropping. I, I think these statistics will it, it will smash another record. But long term, I, I, I look at things like the commodities, like crop yields, once in a lifetime levels, and you look at the value. I mean, you know, wheat got to four hundred dollars. Um, you're seeing canola at record prices, barley rows, all these. But obviously, you guys don't project. But why? Why is it? What? What? What were the drivers that 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 got to this point that they are all so high and that that everything has been such extremes and records broken? Well, that's right. As, as you're saying, um, it's probably more for the Department of Agriculture and our, our colleagues at yeah. ABARES who can talk to you about what's yeah. coming up next in those uh, longer-term forecasts. But certainly in reflecting what's happened in, in 2021, um, is, is really the, the rainfall. It's a, it's a rainfall Unbelievable. story. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right, particularly across your, your broadacre crops. Um, but I, I think also that our, our farmers were ready for that for that turn. You know, So the, the moment that that rain started coming, they'd already knew how to, to capitalise on, on those conditions and, and what to do next and what was, you know, the most suitable, um, you know, crops to plant, et cetera, in, in their regions and, and went with it from there. Yeah, it's a great news story um, and one and you're right, rain changes a lot of things and obviously with the drought and the, the shortage of numbers and then you get a season, things change con- um, considerably. It, it is just, it's just been a great I mean, this looks phenomenal on the world, the world market. Is this the record? Is that is that a record um, by your statistics on on how much value it is? Is is that is that the biggest it's ever been? Yes, it is, and that, that's consistent with where the, the projections as well. So if you're looking at um, where ABES was looking for us to be as yeah. well, yeah. Um, yes, it is at those sort of record levels this year all, all round. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us. That's a great news story. Uh, Sarah Kiley, Director no worries, of Agricultural thanks. Statistics uh, at uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Really appreciate your time this morning. Very interesting. All right. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Thursday morning, the 28th of July. This Saturday night in Tambo, the Baku Beef Challenge Awards Night. Now, last year, I was lucky to be a part of this at the Tambo Shire Hall. Unfortunately, uh, due to commitments calling Rugby League, uh, I am unable to attend their awards ceremony. Uh, One of the great feedlot challenges, um, and it is the brainchild of a lot of really, really proud producers from the Tambo region who said we are going to really do this feedlot challenge and make something special. Um, Shane Webke obviously will be there. You've got a new MC this year. John Brown, who is very well known uh, across the Central West and really in Brisbane and everywhere, joins us this morning. Brownie, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. Morning, Ben. Thanks for having me. Let's start from the beginning with with the feedlot challenge. Um it is something that, you know, was the brainchild of a lot of producers who just wanted to do and make a difference and obviously see how their cattle were going compared to each other's, and it's grown into a really great competition. Yeah, it has, Ben. Um, the, the challenge, as you said, like held at Rogers Creek at yep. Benny Mars there, which uh, for beef feeders, and a lot of it was based about trying to get away from, I guess, people's opinions and just get back to facts and and, and and performance on your cattle. So Benny Ma's done a great job there, and obviously. So what is it, pens of six? Uh, pens of 12, Ben, and yeah. in general what happens. And based on a lot of um, principles of R&A, you, you, your best 10 come forward. So, you know, if two go down or one goes lame or scratched, um, but it just picks your best 10 performers. And that was in vendor bread and also in trade. And then that was on performance in the sea lot. And then uh, Kilcoy came on board. And then there was the carcass section of that. So same and the same applied. So there's obviously a lot of people going to be who have been part of this process and, and a lot of producers. How many cattle ended up going on feed? On feed, I don't have that information in front of me, Ben, but we, for, for, for as far as the feedlot goes, I think that number, um, and I'll be stabbing in the dark, like yep. uh, ourselves, I think we, we sent probably teams of, you know, two or three in each category. Sure. So, you know, it, and it's not easy at that time of the year. It never is uh, with, with these sort of competitions. But for us, we're always feeding cattle, um, and Ben does a Woolworths job with those cattle. So it was sort of just something at the time we just took in our stride. And, but I'd say around the three to four hundred head. Fantastic. And and look, there's a lot of producers from surrounding areas. Four hundred, sorry. Yeah, four hundred. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of producers who are going to be there, and and Saturday night is a, is a celebration in a lot of ways. Your great mate Shane Webke will be there. Kenneth Wagner, obviously the Wagners. Very well known throughout Queensland. Dennis and Kenneth are going to be there. And, and look, it, it is more about the community coming together and having a look at seeing how everybody's cattle have gone and also in the process having a phenomenal time. Sure, Ben. Yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of good sponsors on board. Um, and, you know, and we had your your company last year and your support and Shane's and Shane's returning that um, <laughs> with the Wagners. No different to Country Life. Uh, animal, there's animal products and transport companies, insurance, mate, a lot of companies that are, you know, in around the industry. But yeah, no, it's Saturday night, six o'clock in Tambo, um, and the the town has a 
race meeting, which is, was not really planned this way, but it's fallen in, in that conjunction. So for all those people coming from afar, they're looking forward to it. And uh, most of them are starting to head in probably tomorrow uh, and Saturday morning. So you've got the, the Tambo races on on the Saturday and then the Baku Beef Challenge that night. Yeah, it'll be Lord. a pretty big day, Ben. Brownie. Be a good day. You're preparing yourself, <laughs> mate, seriously. I think Webby's stepping off the plane here at about 9.30. So. When? On today or? <laughs> 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 he'll be there by, He'll be there on Saturday morning and, and go from there. Lots of, look, um, Tambo Shire Hall, 6 p.m. this Saturday night. Guest speaker is Shane Webke, three-course meal, live music, complimentary courtesy bus to Blackhall and Tambo. So that's returning. Um, there is also babysitting. And, look, you, you want to hear about these kind of things. You get oysters, chicken skewers. You've got there's prawn and honey wraps and then obviously a smoked beef cheeks uh, for a main and obviously the community comes together. Uh, Tambo races are on. Uh, there is still a few seats, not many, but a few. I know it's saying it's sold out, but it, there is a few a few seats left. So unbelievable what has gone on, and it is a great challenge. I wish I could be there. Brownie, obviously you're, you're heading up this, and best of luck to everybody being in there, but it's a great time for your community as well. No, thanks for that, Ben. It is. No, thanks very much. Good on you, mate. Uh, John Brown, uh, one of the greats from that Central West, um, and you know Brown Dog Concreting, uh, and obviously been a big part of making this happen. Thank you to everybody being involved. That's this weekend in Tambo. What a great community event that is. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, Farm Safe Queensland Director Jamie Couples joins us this morning as advocates are calling for safety funding to be reinstated after alarming statistics showing 19 farmers died at work in Queensland last year. Now, that's a harrowing statistic, almost twice as many as any other state. State government says their in-house agricultural safety unit is conducting hundreds of visits and audits every year. Jamie, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, that, that that number just alone is enough to create change and we have to do something about it. Yeah, it's an alarming uh, alarming number. I, I must admit this year so far for the six months, it's, it's considerably down. We've only had three that we know of, but so last year was, was an anomaly and we're not sure why that's occurred, but if you look at the three major problems, quad bikes, side-by-side vehicles and uh, and tractors, they're the ones that have been in our statistics pretty much for a long time. So, okay, let's talk about last year. The Safer Farms report showed 19 fatalities, 86 injuries in Queensland compared to New South Wales, which recorded 10 and 23. Uh, Victoria had, you know, and, and, and obviously smaller states as well. Like I, I can understand that, but when you look at it, and when you look at why and how, can you identify where the major risks are and the major factors are? Well, certainly where we've identified, I guess, the major, what we call the causative agents, and they're those three, those three pieces of plant we're talking about. Uh, but the, the fact is that whilst we have done some things to try and reduce, for instance, the quad bike increase with uh, the federal issue of bringing yep. their roll bars in, we haven't done anything about getting out the messages out there, I don't believe, in, in a meaningful way. And since 2012, when FarmSafe Queensland's funding was, uh, well, wasn't renewed by the government at the time, 
we haven't had an extension service in in Queensland, and and even though the uh, the the state government has its own rural unit, which we acknowledge, they they are at the end of the day regulators, and they're out there, you know, as they have to regulate the the legislation, and a regulator and extension office an extension service don't always mix all that well together, particularly for the perception from people uh, on the the clients and the people in the bush. Yeah, well, the big thing is that the big thing is that. The fact that they have pulled the funding shows that, you know, they want to try and control it themselves and when they control it themselves, we know what happens with the government. How yes. how serious, and, and, I'm, and I mean this, how serious is this long term that if you if you can't get funding and, and, and are you back trying to get funding? We're attempting to get funding, but back if you look at the, the situation that currently Obviously, Farm South Queensland itself was closed down when the funding was was, was withdrawn, and and the, and the business was shut down. It, the entity still exists on paper, and will still exist in the corporation world. We are still registered as a as a not for profit, but we don't do anything. We have no funding. Um, I was the CEO at the time. I ended up taking over the remnants of the business, and I provide a fee for service business to rural producers and, and many clients across Queensland and Northern Territory New South Wales. But um, that's not the same as the community work that we think we should be doing yep. to to get these training. messages out there. Yep. Training and we used to support the get like the get go out of the child safety areas, um, all of those things with community groups who were volunteers in the main and, and will provide services and messages. Those messages simply haven't been happening. Right. So, and that's yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand what they're reasoning for it. Now, if you look at the report, um, that for the first time in a decade, it shows the number of people killed on, on farms in Australia dropped below fifty. So something is going right, but there's still a lot of accidents. And raising awareness for the next generation is something. Are you in hope that there would be some sort of funding coming forth to your farm safe, you know, identity and and farm safe Queensland, so you could at least continue getting that message, or are we at the point now that it's in the lap of the hands of the government? Well, we would hope that we could get some funding to do do do, do some projects. So there's plenty of projects we know we could do, and if you look at the federal situation, the federal government has has put money into Farm Service Australia, so there is messages being generated from there. But Farm Service Australia is a national body. They don't have an extension service in each state, and we, whereas some other states do now, we, Queensland, it used to lead the pack with this with, in, the, in the past. We don't have that. So we have no real means of getting it out there, and we certainly don't have the financial backing to do that. Um, we have volunteer support from a number of people around the state, but we, if we don't put together another another unit within Queensland that can extend these messages away from the government, we don't. You know, if it's tied to the regulator, the regulator's got a job to do. They look after legislation, but it's it's very quite difficult to get out there on the farms, talk to farmers, and and also represent the re- represent the regulator at the same time. So, yeah, we definitely need a new uh, farm safe in Queensland. And something that's funded, and 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 can be um, have people from the community uh, actually running that that organisation. Yeah, it, it is um, it is quite concerning that if we leave it to the state government's hands, that we could see. Now, look, it is lower this year. Um, 
was there any reasoning why last year – was it just an anomaly or – is COVID played a role because people were at home and weren't getting away and they were trying to do – is that the factor? Like, you know, from the, the lockdowns, I, I'm just trying to get an idea of what actually what actually would have triggered such a huge number last year of 19 deaths. Oh, honestly, I don't – I can't answer that and I don't know. And we, we're a bit stunned by that as well. A lot of these accidents that are reported or incidents that are reported are not necessarily directly involved with with farming. They 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 they're often recreational activities that that, that happen or you know, incidents that happen in a recreational sense. That's one thing. And there's been so in the, in the area where I live up here in the, in the north, we have seen quite a few of those in the local region. So that's possibly one thing. But um, we've also moved in agriculture to the what we call the side by side vehicle and. The side-by-side vehicle was purported to be, you know, a much safer vehicle than a quad bike, <clears throat> which it is. But the incidents still are quite high with that vehicle, and it's only a couple of percent, five percent behind the quad bike incidents now. So obviously farmers are taking up side-by-sides, but there's a message there that's not getting through as well because these vehicles, they're small, small utility type vehicles, and people get thrown out and they don't wear seatbelts um, and so forth. And they don't realise that that they you know put themselves at, at risk if they're if they're not following what they should be doing to operate these things. Yeah, interesting discussion and one that we're going to keep an eye on. Uh, we need more safety funding to be reinstated. Um, the statistics are real here in Queensland. Jamie Couples, uh, Farm Safe Queensland. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate your time, uh, Jamie Couples. This is Rural Queensland today. That's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Hope you've enjoyed the show on Thursday morning, the 28th of July. A very good morning to everybody. Ray Hadley joins you next. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow from nine. And remember, when the weed is ripe, you keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll see you tomorrow.